Welcome back to the Alliance Podcast, Continuing Conversations. In an effort to recognize various awareness months in the healthcare space, the Alliance Almanac Editorial Board is on a mission to create content dedicated to these causes. In this episode, Alliance Executive Director Kathleen Weiss sits down with pediatric endocrinologist Dr. Patrick Hanley to discuss Diabetes Awareness Month. Learn about the impact of continuing education for a physician in this field and where healthcare CPD professionals can focus when developing CE around diabetes. Take it away, Kathleen. Hello, and welcome back to the Alliance podcast, Continuing Conversations. I'm Kathleen Weiss, Executive Director of the Alliance for Continuing Education in the Health Professions. November is Diabetes Awareness Month. In an effort to recognize various awareness months in the healthcare space, the Alliance Almanac Editorial Board is on a mission to create content dedicated to these causes and with the thought leadership of physicians and fellow healthcare CPD professionals. Today, I'm sitting down with Dr. Patrick Hanley, an endocrinologist affiliated with Nemours Children's Hospital in Delaware. Dr. Hanley has medical experience in diabetes, among other areas, and we're thrilled to have him join us today. Dr. Hanley, welcome to the Alliance podcast. Before diving into our discussion, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your medical career? Um, Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be part of the podcast. As far as about myself, uh, I'm a pediatric endocrinologist. And just for people that aren't super familiar, uh, that means we see kids for growth, thyroid, other hormone deficiencies. And then a big part of our practice is diabetes. Um, As far as my medical career, uh, it actually started after college being a high school teacher for a couple of years and making sure that I wanted to go into medicine, uh, ultimately did. I went to medical school in Philadelphia at um, now what's called Sydney Kimmel Medical College. I did a residency in pediatrics and a chief residency year in Ohio at Rainbow Babies and Children's Hospital. And then I did a fellowship in endocrinology at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And I've been at Nemours for a little over five and a half years now, um, where I primarily practice as a endocrinology clinician. Um, As far as about myself, um, I actually grew up in Wilmington, Delaware, and I went to Nemours as a child, so it was kind of cool to get to come back and be a doctor at a place that I was cared for. I am happily married now for a little bit over a year to my wife, Kristen, and we have a wonderful puppy that has lots of energy and is acting like a toddler now that she's a little over a year old. I'm sure that puppy will keep you well activated. For those of you who may not be familiar, can you share some fast facts about diabetes? Who does it impact? What causes it? And how do you care for it? So as far as diabetes, there's actually a number of different types of diabetes. Um, And even some of the names that we use are a little bit outdated, but I'm a pediatric endocrinologist, so we can see children up till they're 21. The primary diabetes type that we see is what's called type 1 diabetes, also sometimes called pediatric diabetes or autoimmune diabetes. It's about three quarters of the patients that we care for. Um, But we also see a fair amount of type 2 diabetes, uh, which people typically think about more in adults. But about a quarter of our population is also type 2 diabetes. So we see a range. Um, There are other rare causes, uh, neonatal where babies get it, um, children that have had organ transplants or other things where they're on high doses of um, glucocorticoid medication that get diabetes. So the long answer to that is there's lots of different types of diabetes. We primarily see 
type one diabetes and type two diabetes in kids. Um, as far as fast facts for type one, uh, about one in 300 to one in 400 kids uh, are diagnosed with type one diabetes. So it's pretty, pretty common. Um, there's a, as far as distribution, there's a bimodal distribution where kids are more likely to be diagnosed at age four to six or kind of 10 to 14 around puberty time for type one. Um, but really any kid of any age can be diagnosed with type one diabetes and even adults later on in life can be diagnosed with type one diabetes. As far as type two diabetes, similar to adults, uh, there's typically more of a obesity component to it. Um, although we see a lot of kids that are um, high BMI, but don't have diabetes. So we also think there's a genetic component. Uh, typically you start screening for that around age 10. Um, but we do sometimes see kids get diagnosed with type two diabetes earlier on. As far as what causes it, uh, again, it kind of goes back to the type of diabetes and focusing just on type one and type two. Type one diabetes is what's called an autoimmune condition. So we have our immune system, which does great things, helping us fight infections like viruses and bacteria. Um, but unfortunately, sometimes it will attack parts of our body. And in this case, it attacks the beta cells in the pancreas. So those kids are, have destruction of their cells and so they can't make insulin anymore. So because of that, they need to be given insulin either through an insulin pump or through injections. Uh, type two diabetes um, is more related to um, weight and insulin resistance. Um, and so as far as what causes, it's a little bit different. Ultimately, type two diabetes kids can end up on insulin, but we have other medications that we can start them with. As far as how you care for it, um, I would say diabetes is probably Diabetes is a 24-7 disease, so literally everything affects your blood sugars. So everything you eat, stress, sleep, exercise. Um, so the way you care for it is um, hopefully you have a good support network uh, as far as parents or other caregivers. And the main way that we care for type 1 diabetes is by giving kids insulin, uh, either through injections um, or through devices such as an insulin pump. And then in order to figure out how much insulin to give, we uh, need blood glucose measurements, either through finger sticks or finger pokes, um, or through the use of technologies called continuous glucose monitors, which are sensors that sit on the skin, uh, which can kind of, which can give real time glucose information. Uh, they can be sent to a device such as a, a phone uh, or a transmitter through Bluetooth device. Uh, again, how we care for it. I'm an endocrinologist uh, and I take care of kids, but we have psychology, social work, nutrition, registered diabetes nurses. So it really takes uh, an army of people to properly care for kids with diabetes to meet all the needs because uh, of all the factors that are involved in it. Thank you. It really is um, the full healthcare professional team to, to help you there. Being an Alliance member has its perks. From discounts to industry-leading events like the Alliance Annual Conference, to members-only access to the Alliance communities, the Alliance is where healthcare CPD professionals come to learn. Visit acehp.org slash membership to join today. Um, diabetes is one of your medical specialties. Can you share why you gained expertise in this area of healthcare and what is it about it that interests you so? So as far as why, um, so when I was 15, I got diagnosed with type one diabetes and I was actually cared for it no more. So 
before that I had had an interest in medicine, but that certainly pushed me. Uh, then I went to college and worked um, at some hospitals and wasn't hundred percent sure. And it was a big commitment. So I, I started thinking about it. And ultimately you come to a fork in the road after med school where you have to choose a residency. And for me, it was either taking care of kids or adults. And ultimately that was a pretty easy choice because kids are more fun. Um, and then in residency, you get to decide if you want to specialize or not in fellowship. And for me, I really liked everything in medicine, but ultimately endocrinology was always the thing that brought me back and I was the most interested in. Uh, so that's how I became a pediatric endocrinologist. Um, and, you know, why I gained it uh, was, you know, this shared experience and to kind of help people with a similar disease process as myself. Um, and also just diabetes interests me because there's so much we don't know. Uh, we still don't exactly know what causes this autoimmune process. There's been decades of research and really good research done, but we're still not exactly sure what the initial immunologic trigger is that causes it. Um, there's starting to be some exciting uh, progress on immune therapies, uh, either for patients that are being diagnosed with diabetes or actually before diagnosis. And I think that's only going to get better in the next 10 years. So not only caring for individual patients, but the what causes it and then kind of working on research to help stop it because there's so much we still don't know and, and so much to learn to have a strong interest in. Thank you so much. And I, I suspect that um, you having diabetes also gives you sort of an in with your patients a little bit as well, understanding what they're going through. Does. And I, I try not to lean on that too much. Uh, I think for the patients, I try not to, unfortunately, sometimes that makes it about me instead of the patient. You know, they want to ask me all about me and my experiences. Um, but I do think that they, there's this feeling of just, well, you don't get it or you don't understand. Mm -hmm. And then when they realize you do have diabetes, like, oh, maybe you do. Mm -hmm. um, I also think parents seeing me, you know, 20, almost 27 years after diagnosis and seeing that I'm well, makes them kind of realize that they're son or daughter, especially a diagnosis, you know, can handle this and, and they can do okay with it. Good points. How does CPD and medical education help primary care and advanced practice providers recognize when they should refer their patients to a specialist such as yourself? So I think for this question, uh, and in general, you know, CPD and medical education are invaluable for primary care doctors, just because there's so much information out there. Uh, and each day, there's just more and more information. So good targeted education, kind of giving us the important points. Uh, specifically for us, uh, most of the time when kids have type one diabetes, it's, it's rather clear and they end up in the hospital. Not always, but the symptoms can be more um, severe, and they can end up in the hospital. So a lot of times, we're getting called and they're getting referred to the hospital. Not always, sometimes it's a little bit more subtle. Uh, for type two diabetes, there's a there's more, um, I think, education that's needed. There's a lot of kids that kind of fall in what we call the pre-diabetes stage or kids that are overweight or obese, but don't have type two diabetes. So they would be more appropriate for like a weight management program or nutrition. Um, and then also just recognizing the severity of what type two diabetes can be in children. Uh, it really didn't start happening until kind of the 80s, 90s. And we've really seen an increase, particularly with COVID. We uh, had four times as many patients 
diagnosed with type 2 diabetes in a, in a year. And we're not sure how much of that is due to COVID versus um, environmental triggers uh, besides infection. But um, so I, I think for type 2 diabetes specifically and for type 1 diabetes in, in younger kids, it can be very valuable. Thank you for that. Um, just to switch gears here a little bit, the Alliance is a community for those in the healthcare continuing professional development space. Um, and so I'd like to ask you a little bit about your education and have you participated in any recent continuing education focused on diabetes? Can you explain that experience a little bit more for us, for our listeners? Um, like, was it an in-person, virtual? What kind of activities you might have provided, uh, participated in and what did you take away from it? So there actually was a conference uh, at the end of last week and this weekend called ISPAD, which is a International Society of Pediatric Adolescent and Diabetes that I participated in. It was virtual. It was in the United Emirates, so I didn't go. Um, and so typically my education now is usually conferences that I go to, and there's various professional conferences we can go to. This was a virtual conference, and unfortunately, uh, not a lot of the stuff was recorded. So there's only kind of a handful of talks that I really had access to. Uh, those that I listened to were, were certainly helpful, um, and they were good. But compared to some other virtual conferences that I've been in the past, there wasn't a whole lot of content that was available. And also, there was a time difference. There's like an eight-hour time difference. So I would say this is not my typical experience. Um, more typical, we have something called the Pediatric Endocrine Society that has a yearly meeting. Um, and I participated in that last year, either with live talks or virtual talks um, because it was still a virtual meeting. And um, most of it are lectures, but there's in-person work groups and there's lots of different things. As far as taking away from it, um, really just gaining more knowledge, um, looking for things to improve the care with our patients. Uh, a lot, there's a lot of updates on technology, a lot of updates on um, genetics and, and screening for patients. Uh, that was one of the particular talks that I found helpful from the weekend, but I would say last weekend wasn't the typical conference experience that we have. In your opinion, is there an area of diabetes education that needs more attention? In other words, what should healthcare CPD professionals be focusing on when developing CE around develop, uh, diabetes? So I, I think probably the biggest explosion um, of things in the diabetes space is technology. And, you know, people, people are uncomfortable with what they, they don't know and specifically technology. And we have what are called closed loop systems now, where we have insulin pumps that give insulin and sensors to check blood sugar and the insulin pump will actually give insulin independent of the, the person. So if somebody's sleeping overnight, if they have a high blood sugar, it'll give it. So I didn't think more education on the technology around diabetes. Um, it's not a new thing, but I think it's really important uh, focusing education on the fact that younger kids can get diabetes too. Typically kids less than age six present more severely. Uh, mm -hmm. And a lot of time that's, and most of those children have seen a provider beforehand. Um, but there's just less awareness that it happens at younger ages. You know, oftentimes people will say, oh, two or three, we didn't expect that. But they're less, but they do get it. And, you know, it's harder for them to say, hey, I'm peeing a lot more and drinking a lot more. So just keeping that in mind, because most of the time they've seen a, a provider already 
and they typically present sicker um, or more ill to the hospital at the younger ages for various causes. So definitely education around technology um, and then just kind of focusing still that we see these kids um, at a younger age and kind of having a high index of suspicion for that. And I guess the other thing that I would say is as we hopefully transition to a, a world where we don't need to do things virtually anymore for COVID, which is kind of where we're heading, that some of the opportunities for virtual education will still be present for people um, that aren't able to travel or don't have the resources to do it. Because I think you can reach more people with that. Like what you hear on the Alliance podcast? Visit almanac.acehp.org to read the latest continuing professional development news and insights. Visit today to get informed and inspired. It's a, um, it'll be interesting on the post-COVID world as we move forward. From your perspective as a physician, what are some steps our listeners can take, both personally and professionally, to raise awareness about diabetes? I mean, I, th I think the two go hand in hand. I, I think as far as diabetes, uh, you know, the, the rise in type 2 diabetes in kids is, is distressing. And again, in the late 80s, early 90s is when people started to really see it. And we've seen a gradual increase. Now, we've actually seen an increase in type 1 diabetes and type 2 diabetes, but the rise in type 2 diabetes is more extreme. And so I think just addressing that that is a problem um, and that we need to do something about it. And the, and the most important thing as a society is trying to stop it before it happens. Um, and that requires things outside of medicine. Um, people have certain food choices, whether at school or at home, um, that make it hard for them to eat healthy. And so I think that type 2 diabetes is something that if we're waiting until they see an endocrinologist, um, that's very difficult to we can treat the blood sugar, but ideally we would like to stop it before it happens. And there's good research that shows that type two diabetes in kids is more aggressive than it is in adults, meaning adults sometimes can be treated with one or two pills and have good blood sugar control. Um, whereas kids, oftentimes we, we don't have the same pills that they have for adults because we don't have trials that they're, um, they've been used in. And they oftentimes get on insulin pretty quickly uh, which we can use to control their blood sugar, but doesn't help their weight. So um, just recognizing this is a problem, recognizing that it's different than the type 2 diabetes in adults, and we still don't exactly know why. So I think just raising the awareness and having urgency when we see these kids in the pre-diabetes range and, and really an urgency of um, getting kids active, getting people eating healthy, um, participating in research. You know, the research in type in adults, you know, we might have a medication for adults and you have thousands of people and for kids, it's like 60 kids. So, um, and this is true for type one and type two diabetes. I think um, awareness about research and participating in research to kind of help move the field forward, whether it's understanding exactly why kids have worse type two diabetes and being able to address it or, you know, understanding why the immune system does what it does in type one diabetes and looking for ways to ultimately prevent it. The last plug, I guess, so, one way to do that is through fundraisers and things like that. So the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation uh, and the American Diabetes Association are, as far as awareness, JDRF or Juvenile Diabetes Research Fund has walks and, and things like that that people can always participate in. Um, and the American Diabetes Association, they have camps and things for kids. So there's lots of organizations out there that 
um, are also trying to raise awareness and that people could always participate in if they were interested. Excellent, excellent. Thank you so much. Um, well, thank you for joining me for today's discussion. As we come to a close, do you have any final words to share with our listeners? Well, first, thanks again for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, I think I would just say, ask questions. Uh, the more that, that we learn, the more that we find out we need to learn more. And so I think um, as far as trying to understand what's going on and there's a lot of new technology and things like that. So if people have questions, they should always feel free to reach out um, and hopefully collaborate with uh, the endocrinologist taking care of a kid with diabetes, uh, depending on where you live. If you're in Delaware, we have three children's hospitals within you know 30 to 45 minutes, depending on traffic. Um, but certainly there are places where children's hospitals are very far away. And so it's not realistic for a family to go there every three or four months and the primary care doctor might take on more of uh, an endocrinology role at times. And so just always ask um, because there's just so much to know. And I think if we collaborate, people will get better care. Thank you, Dr. Hanley for your time. I really appreciate it. And so do our listeners. Thank you everyone who joined us today and we will be back soon. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Alliance podcast, Continuing Conversations. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to rate, review, and subscribe to stay updated on future releases. In the meantime, we invite you to access our wealth of continuing professional development content on the Almanac at almanac.acehp.org. Until next time.